The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Geeks, and welcome to another installment of 90s Super Cinema. You were asked to choose one of four movies in 1992, some that were colossal successes like Dr. Giggles and Dr. Mordred, or what I was pulling for and trying to crunch the numbers a little bit for was Cool World, but obviously the granddaddy of all superhero movies of 92 is a movie that is a sequel to the 1989 smash hit Batman, and we're talking about Batman Returns, which came out in June of 1992. I have to say, when I rewatched this movie between my computer, my television, my iPad, my phone at times, wherever I could grab it when I had a few minutes to watch, I have a much different perspective on this movie now than I did in the past. So interesting. Yeah, there's a, a lot to talk about. And I have a lot of notes that I had thought about little free thinking verbal diarrhea of me just kind of rambling off of things I could think of. That's what people want out of a podcast. Diarrhea. <laughs> exactly. Obviously. Steven, what do you got? Well, ready to play this stinking podcast like a harp from hell. I'm Steven. So joining us today is a very, very special guest. She has earned her geek stripes and Greek stripes by marrying a Greek as one of the co-hosts and voiceover artists on the Audio Fanfic Podcast, which is dedicated to all varieties of X-Files, Harry Potter, and Marvel fanfiction and love. But she's the biggest X-Files fan that I know. She's here to bring a unique female perspective on a film that has a very large female fan base. I'd say of all the Batman movies, oh, for this sure. has the largest female fan base. She's lovely. She's talented. She's the voice of the hunk of the month. And she's the mother of my children. It's Annie Flowers. Annie, how are you tonight? What an intro. I'm great. Thank you. <laughs> Excited to be here. I have to say, since following you on Twitter, I get so many notifications of X-Files, in particular for like Scully and Jillian Anderson and stuff. It's like, I hope, like, wow, I didn't know she had this many pictures on the internet of her. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> a strong following the, the right there. It's really funny. Like, oh, that's a that's a nice picture of her. That's cool. I never. I hope you like Jillian Anderson because you're gonna. I do. Follow me. Yes. So, Annie, as we dive into this, how familiar are you with Batman Returns? When did you first see it? Tell us a little bit about your history. Yeah, I don't think I'm as familiar with it as I thought. I thought I knew Batman Returns, and there's just like huge portions of it that I did not recall before watching it with you. And I first saw it, I don't know, it, was, it must have been on TV. My parents weren't huge about renting movies or taking me to the movies when I was young. And so it must have just, you know, whatever edited version they put on TV. And the 
parts that stick out the most are obviously the Catwoman parts. And I've, I, you know, I was always jealous. She like fell out of a window and all these cats are on her. And that's, that's what I remember the most. I'm like, wow, to be surrounded by cats. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then there's a bunch of stuff I didn't remember. Like I kind of remembered the penguin, um, but not not really. And I don't know how much of it was because of it, it, because it was edited for TV and how much of it I've just kind of blocked out because it was weird and gross. So you saw this <laughs> on like KTLA or whatever, whatever it was. the local yeah. station was. Interesting. Yeah. Michael, when did you first see Batman Returns? So I saw this in 92 in the theater for my birthday that year. And it came out a few weeks after my birthday. But I remember going and we invited like a bunch of my friends and my cousins. And I remember one of my cousins being so afraid of the movie that she asked her mom to leave. And they left in like 25 minutes into the movie. Oh wow! And to this day, she's never watched it because she was so scared of it back then. That's um, hilarious. And so that's one of my like biggest memories I have. I was like, "Huh?" She left. My mom said, "Yeah, she was scared." I was like, "Oh, okay, weird, whatever." <laughs> well, with good reason. In yeah, her defense, my yeah, god, it's definitely. Though there are scary elements in Batman when you're you know seven or eight years old, this movie has so many more scary and horrific and just uncomfortable things that a 10 year old or 11 year old would be like oh this is this is frightening gross yeah just gross out and out gross yeah. I, I also saw this in theaters at the syosset theater which was just like the only single screen theater on long island uh, my dad took us it must have been the second weekend of its release and i just remember feeling very weird about it mm -hmm. where you know i loved batman i was not a huge penguin fan in general yeah and so i was more into the riddler i was hoping for riddler and robin and just feeling weird the whole movie <laughs> and then yeah like it, it's it did not make the impression on me that 89 batman made it wasn't until video that i started to really watch it a lot yeah i would say so i, I think I, I watched it a lot after when it came out on vhs and just rewatched it a ton of times but the thing that I have to say about this movie, it does not have the rewatchability of Batman 89, in my opinion, because a lot of it is just like, eh, I just could fast forward this, fast forward this and get to like the meat and potatoes of the movie, which I kind of think we could, you know, start off right off the bat and say, let's give a little bit of how this movie was developed and how it came to be. Let's do it. All right. So... Everybody knows Batman 89 was a giant monster mega success movie. You know, it was the biggest blockbuster of blockbusters for many, many years to come. Warner Brothers was so desperate for Tim Burton to direct Batman 2, but he didn't want anything to do with it. He thought he had said all he needed to say about Batman. And he moved forward and did Edward Scissorhands, and it was basically just, you know, enjoying that. And then the original screenwriter from Batman, Sam Hamm, worked on a draft of Batman 2. Burton finally came on board when Warner Brothers allowed him full creative control, except the studio wanted the Penguin. They didn't want to do Penguin. Sam Hamm and, and Tim Burton did not want to do... They just wanted to do Catwoman, just do a Catwoman story, period. And it was the studio that forced them to work in the Penguin, Basically, I watched a, a making of documentary after finishing the movie, and Sam Hamm basically says pretty much most of his script was more or less thrown away, 
and they brought in uh, Heather's writer, Daniel Waters, to basically rewrite it and do this, you know, penguin story. And one of the things that Tim Burton said about this movie was he never liked the penguin because he just didn't, he just had that like Burgess Meredith kind of envision in his mind of just like this quirky little chubby guy. But when they sort of like Burtonized him, if you will, and gave him this hideous, grotesque backstory, that's when he started to get interested in it. And he was saying like this animalistic style of the bat, the cat and the bird. And that's where they were building everything from. So and my first criticism there is you have the bat, the cat, the penguin that's on the poster, the whole animal thing. They couldn't squeeze in Robin. I, yeah, that's I don't not know. animal enough. His name's Robin. <laughs> this movie was already overflowing with with uh, main actors that I think if they threw in another principal actor, it would have been too much. To be honest with there's you, there's a lot going well, on. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going so on. Much. There is. And speaking of which, I did read the original Sam Ham draft in anticipation of this podcast for the first time, and so I just wanted to talk a little bit about that and tell you mm. the direction that he was taking. And speaking of stuffed with characters, I mean, if you thought the, the you know, the, the eventual movie had a lot of characters, wait till I tell you about the Sam Hamm draft. Uh, so it's much more of a direct sequel to the events of 1989's Batman. Uh, Bruce Wayne is still in a relationship with Vicki Vale, and there are merchants selling Batman merchandise, including pieces of the blown up Batwing from the first movie. So here's a part from the script. Annie, if you can read it. The owner is in the store window, hastily removing all of his Batman merchandise and setting up new displays devoted to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and The Simpsons. A mother drags her squirming toddler past the entrance. The kid smells heavy markdowns on bat shit, but mom clearly doesn't approve. (laughs) (laughs) So it's in a world where Batman has been merchandised to death, much like the first 1989 Batman movie, which was merchandised to death. Uh, It opens with the Batmobile chasing down a bank robbing Santa Claus on a snowmobile. So they really lean into the Christmas setting. Uh, and Bruce throughout the course of the movie is struggling to find the perfect Christmas gift for Vicki Vale. So there you go. Uh, the penguin in this is more like the traditional penguin. He's a paroled prisoner named Mr. Boniface who has a collection of birds, which he has trained to murder people. Catwoman is a cat burglar that steals famous works of art she hangs out at the Wharf Rat, which is which is a dock bar, which totally reminded me of the Batman yes. sixty six movie with Miss Kitka. Uh, so she running with the bomb over his head. Exactly. She becomes obsessed with Batman and starts leaving him personal ads in the paper. So here's a funny interaction between them. <laughs> I always seem to fall for the wrong guys. You know, most men are rats, mice. Really, it's disgusting. They beg you to walk all over them, and then they whine when you do it. Once you've had your fun, there's not much you can do but kill them. But you seem different. I mean, you obviously understand about dressing up. That saves a lot of explaining. So there you go. So most of the movie is this weird treasure hunt where the villains are trying to find different raven statues that belong to the wealthy families in Gotham. And the the statues lead to a map of an incredibly vast fortune. You know, not unlike Max Shrek, we have all these other billionaires mm-hmm. who are interacting with Bruce Wayne. And one of them tells Bruce Wayne the story. And we see a flashback to Gotham of the 1800s, where a group of men committed a bank robbery in order to buy Gotham City and save it from financial ruin. They were known as the five families of Gotham. And this included the Wayne family. So Bruce insisted his father would have never gone along with this. 
knowing that his family's vast fortune was actually a stolen fortune. But then this billionaire friend reveals that uh, Thomas Wayne was murdered because he refused to keep quiet about it. And so we see a flashback to the, you know, Jack Napier murdering mm-hmm. uh, Thomas Wayne from the, from the events of the first one, which kind of reminded me of like Spider-Man three, where they keep messing around with uncle Ben's murder. Yeah. Like they mm-hmm. keep adding new layers to it. Uh, so, you know, this thing is jam packed with characters besides Batman, Penguin and Catwoman. There's Alfred, Vicki Vale, Commissioner Gordon, Bullock, whose first name is Eddie, a few rich Mac Shrek types, as I mentioned. And then there's a group of Batman wannabe kids who are taken to the streets in Batman t-shirts and those guardian angel red berets. But they're mostly like, you know, chicken paper tigers. And the real hero is a 13 or 14, 14 year old vigilante that is saving people in the park. So who is this young vigilante? Well, Bruce finds his costume in the sewer. It's a costume, a spangled red and green gymnastics outfit with a little yellow cape, neatly folded and in pristine condition. He removes it carefully from the box and holds it up in front of him. Stitched on the vest is a single initial, R, in a black circle. He stares at the whole mystifying ensemble in complete befuddlement. So it's Dick Grayson. We discovered this kid in the sewer is Dick Grayson. (laughs) I guess there was a whole thing about vigilantes living in the sewer in these 90s movies. I guess so. So anyway, yeah, exactly. And the turtles, come on. Oh, yeah. So uh, it turns out that this massive treasure is buried underneath Wayne Manor. That's where the map leads to. And it's in the Batcave. Of course it is. What are the odds? Right. So Penguin and Catwoman storm the castle. But with the help of Robin, Bruce and Vicky manage to fight off the villains. Uh, Catwoman is mortally wounded by a fall from a chandelier. But as she struggles and it describes like her bones being jutted out mm. and like she looks all mangled, she's still... Mm hitting on Batman in a really <laughs> weird way. Andy, yeah. I'm sorry, but I'm but here if you if you don't mind reading this, it's a little weird. Don't look at me. Do me. <laughs> what? Right. Do me, baby. Do me now. That's what I want. Please. That's so weird. She's like dying. Her bones are broken and like all mangled. But you don't understand their sexual chemistry, clearly. I wonder if she's implying for her to be killed by him. Yes. You know, Batman's a murderer in, in, in the Burton world, so. Yeah, I, that is a part of it. She does later ask for him for but <laughs> to you, be murdered by him. You don't ask <laughs> so to be weird... murdered by saying, do me, baby. That's true. Do it's me weird weird now. To be <laughs> oh, the 90s. <laughs> They're so uncomfortable. So this might sound familiar. Batman defeats Penguin by using a sonar device to unleash an army of bats that causes the Birdman to fall to his death. Uh, so after this long night of a home invasion, Bruce, Vicky, Alfred, and Dick decide to spend Christmas together. But what will Bruce give Vicky for Christmas? Selena Kyle's costume. <laughs> he digs around in his jacket pocket and produces a tiny gift box, which he hands to Vicky. She unwraps it, opens it slowly, and sees a a diamond ring inside. She gazes up at him speechless. He gazes back. Camera pulls up and away until we can see the whole of the devastated room and all the people in it. Vicky falling into Bruce's arms, Dick off to one side watching them, Alfred tossing broken furniture into a roaring fireplace, and on the image of this decidedly eccentric unit, we fade out. So... Boo. (laughs) 
Boo. Okay. Well, there are a few similarities between the you know the Sam Ham script and the eventual Daniel Waters script. Obviously, the villains, the Christmas setting, the evil billionaires. Uh, Batman gets his rigid bat wings in this as well. Uh, he gets framed for murder, just like in <laughs> Batman Returns. Uh, but the big difference that I found is that there's no origin for the villains at all. They just arrive fully formed. Mm. So that was my take on the Sam Ham draft. So eventually, Tim Burton finally agreed to come on board. He basically was given carte blanche. He brought on Heather's writer, Daniel Waters, to write a new draft streamlining the ham draft and focusing on the freakish animal nature of the characters. Meanwhile, the script that he did write was inspired by the Batman 66 episodes, his honor, the penguin dishonor, the penguin where Batman and penguin run for mayor. Oh boy. Writer Wesley strict was brought on to rewrite the waters script. Okay. Warner brothers had spent $250,000 to store the sets for the first movie, but Burton opts to start from scratch building sets like a fake Rockefeller Center and a series of Shrek department stores. And I have to say, this is one of the things that stands out most to me, is how the city looks so different from the first film that it takes me out of it because it just feels more like a set and it just feels so fake. And, and that really bothered me because it was trying so hard to be something it wasn't. And, and it kind of bummed me out, in my opinion. I you don't know, know that, about you, Stephen. But... That's bothered me since, you know, 1992. Yeah. Where it just looks so rinky-dink. It feels like a small world. Like the, the, the city of Gotham in, in Batman 89 felt so big and gothic. And this just feels like a single street. With clearly like a tunnel that comes in, you would see it Six Flags Great Adventure where they're coming out with the race cars to attack each other. Like that's what yeah. it felt like to me. That, it's that very, really, it's very underwhelming. Yeah, that really bothered me. So the movie outline essentially is: we open on a dark and stormy night. A wealthy couple, played by Paul Rubens and Diane Salinger, are horrified when their newborn son. Oswald turns out to be a deformed, cat-eating freak. Desperate to get rid of the child, they throw him into a river. We follow the bassinet as it runs into the sewers and ends up in the Gotham Zoo. And this opening is very similar to the flying through the bat symbol in the beginning of 89. It's just less impactful, in my opinion, because it doesn't necessarily do this pull, big pull-out reveal like you see that Batman logo in the beginning of the first movie. But I get what they're doing. They kind of stayed with the same motif, and I'm okay with it. I will say, I, I think that this opening is one of my favorite things Tim Burton has directed. Mm -hmm. It just has this weird, darkly comic, tragic thing going for it. It and does score, have a weird opening, but, but the score is good. The, the score Danny Elfman nice. score is really good. And then you've got Paul Rubens and Diane Salinger. They were in Pee-wee's Big Adventure as Pee-wee and Simone, yeah. which Tim Burton directed. That's kind of cool. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was cool, too. It was a real, like, it starts to see a trend of Burton bringing back people that he formerly worked with to be in his movies going forward, which I thought was pretty cool. And I, and I, I like that sort of a thing. Now, cut to 33 years later. It's Christmas time and millionaire Max Shrek, who dreams of building a just like a super power plant. 
um, is interrupted by his mousy secretary, Selena Kyle. Later, Shrek is about to give his big Christmas tree lighting speech when he's interrupted by the Red Circus gang who wreak havoc on the citizens of Gotham until Batman shows up in the Batmobile and proceeds to maim and torture and kill quite a few of them, if you ask me. Burn uh, them alive. <laughs> yeah, blow them up, you know, you know, hit them with a flamethrower out of the Batmobile, you know, the whole thing. Shrek is kidnapped by this conveniently perfectly placed sewer grate that just happens to where, be where he stops and he perfectly falls through it. It's very convenient, but whatever. He's kidnapped by the hideous Penguin Man, who has been collecting Gotham's garbage and thus knows all about Shrek's misdeeds, which the shredded paper thing and how you would really tape all that stuff together and be able to read it, I find that very hard to believe. He had a lot of time on uh, his hands down there. Apparently, a lot of time. He says a lot of time and a a lot of tape. He even has the severed hand of his former business partner, Fred, which he then uses to shake Shrek's hand at one point in the scene. It's so, so bizarre. Well, let me say this. There's a few thoughts that I have about this right away. You set up Penguin as this incredibly sympathetic baby monster who his parents threw away. Mm-hmm. So right now you're setting up this very sympathetic villain. The first scene with Danny DeVito, besides like him peering out through the grates, like, you know, when he's peering out through his cage as yeah. a baby, he's the most disgusting, vile, <laughs> one dimensional monster. Like you're just like immediately all like that goodwill you had towards this baby. Gone. Just gone. completely gone. He even says what you put in your toilet. I place on my mantle. Yeah. So this character's just digging through the poop of Gotham. Yeah, the the dialogue for the Penguin all throughout the whole movie is horrible. And it makes the character less redeeming as the story goes on. Like, you just like him less and less. But I will say that, you know, speaking of these scenes, the Red Triangle Batman circus fight is pretty cool. It is cool. It's fun. It's, It's very cool. I actually have the collectible Batmobile... Of it, which oh. has all the sides that pop out and everything. Oh, this is this is pretty cool. It actually has like a little scene in the background. It's hard to see on the video, and obviously those listening at home can't see it at all. But it's just a a, a picture of like the the gang behind him. It's kind of cool. So one of the things that I have in this uh, episode that I wanted to talk about. But we find that the penguin allegedly wants to go legit and thinks Max can help him. Selena, meanwhile, accidentally uncovers evidence of the true purpose of Max's power plant. And to keep her quiet, he shoves her out of a window where she falls, I'd say about 30 or 25 stories, seemingly to her death. And she lies in a, a bed of snow where an army of cats lick and chew on her fingers to revive her at, in some sort of weird sort of you know, nine lives resurrection. Is it magic? We don't really know. They don't really establish what what these cats do. Is it, are they transferring DNA to her? I don't know. So, so Annie, is this your dream to just be surrounded by cats? <laughs> Chewing on your fingers? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've had cats scratch me, chew my fingers. It's fine. Yeah, just give me all the cats. <laughs> Would you have loved to just be like Selena Kyle living in an apartment with cats yes. just popping their heads in the window? Yeah, the crazy <laughs> hey, cat lady Selena. from The Simpsons is what I have aspired to be in my life. And I don't think I'm going in that 
direction. I'm very happy the direction I'm going in. But before I met Steven, that was my goal. So that seemed maybe it maybe this is my origin story for wanting that was seeing Selena Kyle be. surrounded by a bunch of cats it, reviving well life be. into her. Can I just point out two things that are irritating me right off the bat? Oh God! As we go through this outline, okay. Two of Max's story points are that he's really crappy at keeping his files private. Right. He gets blackmailed by Penguin because he's flushing files down the toilet that Penguin's taping together. And then his password for his secret protected file is Geraldo, oh, yeah. which is the name of his stuffed dog that's <laughs> sitting on top of the files. So clearly Max is terrible <laughs> at keeping his file secret. And two characters have now used it against him. Yeah. I also think it and, was the 90s and passwords weren't, you know, the way they are yeah. today. A number, a symbol, you know, stuff like that. I, I mean, pre-9-11, people's passwords were like password one, two, three. You would know that better than anybody. <laughs> oh, please. Like, I have so many passwords in my head of my family members that I have to keep track of all the time. Oh, man, it's hard. To, it's hard to keep track. But... What I find weird about this this scene in particular, when, when he throws her out the window, the next day the window is perfectly fixed. Nobody in his office questions, gee, what happened to that window? And <laughs> what happened to your secretary? Where, where, did, where did she go? Oh, I don't know. She went skiing. Great. Cool. And why are there a series of secretary-shaped holes going through every awning? <laughs> every awning in the entire on the building. Yeah. No question. Nobody says anything. Nobody says boo about it. It's a comic um, book movie. I'll give them that yeah. one. When you have yeah. that much money, I, you pay them off and they fix it and no one talks about overnight. it. Overnight. Yeah. Exactly. One thing I need to point out is one of the other ancillary characters in this beginning of the movie, and he appears a few times, is Max Shrek's son. And he is Shit. legitimately the worst actor I've ever scene in my entire life he does this horrible like kennedy-esque martha's vineyard kind of accent that doesn't make any sense with gotham city he's like oh father come down to the masses and i'm like bro but you couldn't find anybody better than this dude he looks like an overgrown he-man from boston (laughs) well okay I, i can tell you some things about andrew bernarski who plays Chip Shrek. Does he have any jobs after this movie ever? Yes, yes. Oh, First of all, my brother and I, when we got we got this movie for Christmas 1992 on VHS, mm-hmm. uh, Mayaya gave it to me as a gift. And we would watch the scenes with Chip Shrek and make fun of him constantly and do the, the, the dad, go save yourself, <laughs> dad, go, over and over again. We And we would say as like 10-year-olds, this guy is the worst actor ever. The worst ever. So... In like 2004 or five, I went to a Fangoria convention and he was there because he played Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) And he was trying to get my friend Angel to buy an autograph and Angel just wasn't having it. He's like, no, it's okay." (laughs) He's like, come on, sign an autograph. And I just wanted to say to him, Dad, go save yourself. (laughs) <laughs> you should have i would have totally been like as far away as i could just kind of like muffled my hands and just said that just not go <laughs> it's terrible so anyway that's andrew bernarski anyway i digressed as i normally do but after selena kind of revives from the, the the cat reincarnation she gets back to her apartment she's got a basically just a bleeding head 
a weird little like shoulder scar of some sort. No, a scar in her hand. And she walks around the thing. She chugs some milk. And then she just starts like wrecking her apartment when her mother calls. Because, you know, when your mother calls, leave you a voicemail criticizing your life you tend to wreck your apartment you know that's what happens well it's it's the voicemail from the shrek department store that really sets her over the edge oh that's right it's the department store yes and so then she starts smashing everything and she's got this cool neon sign that says hello there but she smashes out the o and the t and it says hell here which to this day is like an iconic moment and posters been made about it like it's just such a cool thing and the way the coloring is just beautiful I love that thing. Then she goes into her closet and finds this patent leather rain jacket, essentially, and starts cutting it up and sewing it effortlessly. It's amazing, you know, what she can make this this patent leather jacket into. And then we get this reveal of her later, which is so cool. Do you, so can you name another Tim Burton movie from 1992 where someone keeps sewing themselves up? Oh, <laughs> Sewing themselves up. There's a character that and she keeps sewing herself because her arm keeps falling off. Is that Nightmare on uh, Nightmare Before Christmas? Nightmare that Before late? Christmas. Okay. So Tim Burton was really into this idea of people sewing themselves together. If you've ever read Burton on Burton? He talks about <clears throat> that being kind of his motivation for the character of Catwoman. Hmm. Really? And Sally, this idea of someone who literally has to stitch themselves hmm. together. Well, it, it, what's interesting about this whole thing about Catwoman, who's definitely the most interesting character in the whole movie, bar none, and she's you see this like fractured duality of her mind and almost like a split personality, and she's just when she becomes the Catwoman persona, she's like a totally different person than when she's Selena. And it's very interesting. Like I would have loved to see more scenes of her, like just let Michelle Pfeiffer go crazy and just be most of the movie. Yeah. Because I, I think you could, you could have done this movie without Penguin and it would be a hundred times better if it was her and Max Shrek as the, you know, big bad only. I think the, the, the element of the Penguin takes the movie in a wrong direction, in my opinion. But that's neither here nor there because it's 30 years later. And what do I know? <laughs> no, I mean, you know a lot. I, I think I, I totally agree with you. Catwoman works in almost every scene she's in. Yeah. And I think the reason why this movie is so well remembered is because people would just watch the Catwoman scenes. Yeah. And kind of ignore the Penguin scenes. It's very much like a video generation movie where people would watch it on HBO and only watch the Catwoman scenes. Yeah. And that stuff largely works. Like she's she's amazing in this movie. You know, n- not to compare or contrast, but it's just like people love The Dark Knight because of Heath Ledger's performance. People love this movie because of Michelle Pfeiffer's performance, I feel like. Cuz Michael Keaton's not given very much to do. The Penguin is grotesque in the movie, and Christopher Walken is just walkany <laughs> with a weird wig on his head, you know? <laughs> That's my thoughts on it. So Anyway, Max Max Shrek helps stage a public scene where the penguin rescues the mayor's baby from a kidnapping, sort of, or like a, you know, a a botched kidnapping of one of the gang, grabbing the baby. It's weird. Uh, I'm not going to speeches, so I'll just say thanks. Yeah. (laughs) So he rises up and he says he's the penguin and whatever. He doesn't, allegedly he doesn't know who he is yet, but... He become if he says he's researching to figure out who his parents are and who he is, 
He reveals that he's Oswald Cobblepot, which is his, you know, comic book character alter ego as well. And it's portrayed to the world as he's like this sympathetic creature searching for his biological parents. But Batman thinks otherwise, and he begins to spy on the Penguin and do research in the background through the records in the Gotham light, you know, to figure out what's what's Penguin up to. You know, Penguin gets like carte blanche in the library. Nobody can bother him, and he's digging through all these records and stuff like that to try to find out who he is. Annie, what was your when we were watching this? Mm -hmm. You had something funny to say. Oh, when when Penguin was like going through the library. And Batman drove up in the Batmobile. He's like driving past the window in the, yeah. in the Batmobile. Not like yeah. Bruce Wayne doing, you know, secret reconnaissance work. Cowling on a, on a rooftop and looking down. Yeah, I'm like, that is so obvious. Yeah. It was terrible. It's very peculiar. Batman's not very good in this job. one. Yeah. The, the one thing I had to say is, and people always complain that none of the movies have ever been able to really portray Batman as the detective. But there are moments in this movie where Bruce Wayne is suspect of the Penguin and he's doing backstory and he's investigating him a little bit. And he even says to Alfred at one point, I think he actually knows who his parents are. I think he's up to something else entirely. I, I was pleased that they, that they hinted at it. But the thing is in this movie that drives me crazy is – Nothing is held on to long enough to really establish certain things and let and let that idea flush out all the way. And it, it bothers me. And one of the things that I learned in, in graduate school and film school, and I'm sure Stephen has learned this a million times over, like whenever you're doing a sequel, the goal is to raise the stakes for the hero, right? To make it more challenging than the first one, make it bigger, make it weirder, make it tougher and so on and so forth. But I feel like when it happens with superhero movies in particular, they always think by raising the stakes, Oh, you know what? He needs more villains. Let's give him, he had one big villain. Now we're going to give him three this time, as opposed to leaning into some of the other things and really trying to flush out something big. And that, bothers me this movie because because it's just there's just certain things that i'm just like didn't need to be there and i don't get why they did it but whatever i can complain about it all day long well he i mean he's coming off batman 1989 which had an iconic villain in Mm -hmm. in jack nicholson's joker so he clearly had to replicate that a little bit uh and i think catwoman is just as iconic as nicholson's joker oh i think so yeah Uh, but it's but the penguin is not and yeah. people forget Max Shrek, I think, all the time. Max Shrek is kind of an afterthought. Yeah. But he's the biggest villain in this movie at times. Yeah, he, he's really the big bad. He's the architect of all the stuff that happens. And so I think I've shown you this, Stephen, before, but, I, but I'll show mm. Annie this. So this is a hand-painted mm. and hand-sculpted version of the Penguin that a friend of mine made back in the early 90s. And for a wedding gift, he gave me this. And... Even though it's it's scary looking a little bit in the face, mm-hmm. it's still not as horrific as some of the things you see with Danny DeVito in this movie. And I'll, I'll admit, and I'll tell you, they couldn't have cast a better person to play the Penguin than Danny DeVito. But they made him a monster as opposed to let him be goofy Danny DeVito, you know? <laughs> like, I don't they know. They didn't I just was... make him a monster. I mean, they made him grotesque gross they make him it gross. is hard to watch him i felt physically ill at some point yes yeah. especially the 
part where he literally eats a raw fish and he's just yeah. making like sexual comments as he's like eating this raw I'm like like uh, all of know. that was and... really gross. He does this weird grunting thing which I think might be an attempt to mimic a penguin, but it's it just comes out as this weird sexual grunting and it makes yeah. me so sick. Uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah, it's really it's gross. It's rough. He He's very horny for a guy <laughs> whose body is like a misshapen foam padded thing with no discernible genitalia. Yeah. He's a very horny little penguin. Yeah. And it's, it's unnerving. A, it's and I don't know what they were thinking when they wrote some of this dialogue. Like, why did they think this was going to be a good idea? And I can understand long term, like why Warner Brothers was like, bro, we just threw all this money at you. And we made all this merchandise and all these things. And you give us this. Like, this is not what we were hoping for. We gave you carte blanche figuring Burgess Meredith. Sure. Not, you know, the creature from the Black Lagoon. (laughs) So, I don't know. Anyway. In a surprise move, Max Shrek decides that the sideshow freak raised in the sewers with no experience in public policy or anything in the public at all would be a great, great fit for mayor, you know, cause that's what people do. Like we're going to make this weirdo that calls himself the penguin came out of the sewers that for some reason, people just instantly fall in love with for what reason I, other than catching a baby, I don't, I don't get that. The city of Gotham is so dumb in this movie. Like they're just so blinded by, this narrative that they automatically think that he's a hero. And I don't get it. It just doesn't I'm just going to say in 2021 context makes perfect sense to me and I won't get into (laughs) it, it, but I'm just going to say, I get it now. No, no. It's funny. You say that because watching this movie and seeing this narrative, the way it plays out, it is a very big foreshadowing to, the times we live in right now and the, the last four or five years or so. And I'm like, wow, maybe people really are that, that <laughs> naive. I don't well, know. Yeah. A, a wealthy, oddly shaped horny weirdo <laughs> who yeah, says with, the most with, vile, disgusting things and, and gr- has been, gross hair, you know, <laughs> and who has been recorded saying the most awful things time and time again. The only difference is here, one, you know, it just takes once for Gotham to hear him say something awful and they're like, boo, we don't like you anymore. Yeah. Uh, I wish, I wish America was as smart as Gotham sometimes, but here we are. (sighs) We can can move on from this. Yeah. Yeah. And so Max Shrek decides to basically pour perfume on a pig and turn him into a respectable gentleman, giving him custom tailored suits because his body is such a weird shape. Like you can't just go to Brooks Brothers and buy this guy a suit off the rack, which is, you know, tough given the fact that Penguin is prone to eat raw fish, groping young interns, and biting off the nose of one of his, like, press secretary guys. Steve Whitting, he played the best friend in the Hogan family. Come on. When I was in theaters in 1992, I said, oh, that's the kid from the Hogan family. (laughs) You didn't say that? Only you would write that in this Batman Returns outline. Only really? you. I don't he, even. I don't even remember. I remember Jason Bateman in a in a show, but I don't remember the the Hogan family. What? I don't remember. It was that actually show. called Valerie, but then Valerie Harper left. 
and she was replaced with Sandy Duncan, and then they changed the name of the show to The Hogan Family. There was a call in where you could you could vote for the for Valerie's family or the. You Hogan were born family. in the wrong era, my friend. <laughs> it was on after Alf. What were you watching after Alf? I don't know. Probably like Miami Vice or something like that, or like oh, oh, I see. Or or Cheers or Night Court or something. I don't know. I was watching all those too, and I was watching The Hogan Family. Let me just say though that besides the fact that it's you know the best friend from the Hogan family, him biting the nose of that guy is one of the most I think iconic moments from this movie. Yeah, you can't have seen this movie and not remember that moment. Yeah, it's just so burned in people's brains. And now as a parent, if I spent you know whatever it costs to go to the movies and buy popcorn and candy and soda and blah blah blah, and I was sitting there with my kids and this scene happened, I'd be like. What the hell am I paying for? Yeah, for, for a 10 year old birthday party, no less. <laughs> exactly. And it's not even just like the violence of it, because, you know, Batman 1989 is violent. It's just like the way it stews in the filth and the dirt and the vileness of this character. It's just, it's not pleasant. Like it's not it, it's you know, it's one thing that he's a villain. It's another thing that you're like, who wants to see this? Who wants to right. see him just spitting up black and blue blood, bile, whatever, out of his mouth? Yeah, that, that's his, not a good time at the movies. The nineties no. were a different always, time. Yeah, his teeth are always green. He's got blue goo coming out of his mouth or blood. Like it just, I don't know. And and the other thing is like in Batman eighty nine, the Joker's goons were, you know. Just a bunch of goofy guys. The 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 circus people, they're always lurking in the shadows. They're always very creepy, like and super scary looking. And I'm like, I don't like this was not something that I think I would have liked that seeing that stuff. And and Grace, my four-year-old, kept coming in because she knows I love Batman and she loves Batman. And she's like, Oh, can I watch this? And I kept like <laughs> Quickly pausing it, <laughs> flipping to Disney Plus. <laughs> like, like, sorry, kid, you can't watch this one. She's like, oh, but I want to, Daddy. I'm like, you can't watch this movie. I'm sorry, can't do it. I just wanted to say that I was, I was reading that McDonald's was really mad and wanted to pull their toys, the the McDonald's Big toys, time. because it was such a disgusting movie. Absolutely not kid friendly. Parents that, groups. Yeah, that was exactly the reason why Tim Burton got fired, and and basically they, they said because. Uh. The, 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 the McDonald's deal was a big disaster. Yeah. And there's a cup with Danny DeVito's penguin on it. Could you imagine yeah. going to McDonald's to eat and then you have <laughs> Danny DeVito's penguin on your cup? You would just throw your Big Mac in the trash. Is it like the That's clear it. one that you have, Stevie? Or was it like no, full the, color grossness? Full color. Oh, yeah. It was grossness. plastic. Okay, got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, that was the Batman Forever mug that I sometimes drink Gatorade out of. Yes. Yeah, I still have my Batman Forever Two Face cup. I have uh, Green Lantern rings in it, actually. Oh, <laughs> nice. So after a tense meeting with Max Shrek, Bruce meets Selena Kyle and falls hard for her. Like, like really goes gaga over her in almost a James Bond esque sort of a, a way that he kind of falls for this character so quickly. He's like mesmerized and captivated by her. And at the time when I was a kid, I was really bummed that they didn't explain why Vicki Vale left before this movie because I wanted to see where it would pick up from her. In in years since, I kind of looked at it more like 
they're making Bruce Wayne like a James Bond. Like every movie, he's got a different love interest, which I can take or leave. I don't, I don't love that idea, but whatever. It is what it is. So later on, Catwoman blows up the Shrek department store in probably one of the coolest scenes in the movie where she's like jump roping with the whip. And she puts the, you know, um, almost like deodorant cans or something like that in the microwave and perfectly finds where the gas line is and pulls that sucker out <laughs> with superhuman strength that I didn't know she had, but she did. So, okay, cool. And she has a great um, interaction with the security guards. Yes. That I really like. <laughs> and that's probably one of the, fun, like one of the few, if not only funny parts or lines in the whole movie, like there's not any humor in this movie at all which is really strange because in the first movie you had Alexander Knox is like the goofy reporter, but he had a lot of great one-liners and he's not in this movie at all. And it's clearly felt that it's like, they don't have that kind of levity in this movie. It's just, everything is so heavy over and over and over again. Well, if only you could bring in an outsider character who was new to the story and had a different perspective Maybe a 13 or 14 year old vigilante <laughs> with a bird theme. I don't know. Call me crazy. Cool. Wow, dude. You're, you're really reaching for the stars there, my friend. <laughs> Can I just um, point out, though, that she doesn't kill the guards? She tells them to leave. She doesn't kill anybody in this movie other than Shrek. And I actually made a note of this, like, as we go on in the movie, you know, so. The, the the plot is essentially they want to get Batman to be the villain. Like they want people to turn against him. And I'm going to get ahead of myself, but basically there's a moment in the movie where she says something else similar to that, which I find very interesting. So she blows up the department store and she then meets Batman and the penguin. And, you know, penguin makes his first, you know, creepy, comments at her and he's like oh i saw her first you know and he like flies away with this penguin helicopter that flies perfectly straight up with no navigation whatsoever just like okay go right up and you know batman finds her they have this really great fight and it's it's fun it's cool i like that the the, the fighting between catwoman and batman is some of the only and some of the best fighting in the whole movie uh it's really fun and it's funny because in the movie The Dark Knight Rises, some of the best fights are when Catwoman and Batman are fighting in that movie, too, in my opinion, which I just thought was kind of interesting. So she tries to, like, hurt Batman, and he pushes her off of a roof, and she falls into this perfectly convenient tractor trailer full of kitty litter, and she loses another one of her lives, essentially. And this By is where falling we into out kitty she... litter, though? Like... Was it that I, big of a I, I don't fall? know. I don't know. I, I, again, she lands perfectly in so, some of these times. I'm like, did she really die? Yeah. Did she really lose a life? It, it's not clear. You know, I don't fully understand it. And then she decides she wants to team up with the penguin and she gets into his loft above this campaign office, which is very Burton esque the way it looks. It's very almost Beetlejuice's attic feeling in a way. Um, and they decide to team up, but at the same time, Bruce and Selena be, start to kind of become intimate with one another. They 
they get like romantic, but also like awkward. And they have this interesting conversation and this dialogue in Wayne Manor, which is again, one of the most interesting things about this movie is it's kind of like a film noir love story with the two of them. Cause it's sort of like this, will they, won't they in the dark, in the shadows mystery. And that's, that element of the movie is fantastic. It's just when you throw in the penguin, it ruins all that stuff, in my opinion. What's weird to me is that Michael Keaton plays some of those scenes like he's a 12-year-old boy who's mm-hmm. never spoken to a woman before, which is very weird. He's not that confident Bruce Wayne from the first movie. He's not Batman. He's just like, he he looks he looks like he's never spoken to a, like a woman before in his life. Yeah. I, I get he that. So it's very goofy. He's so like, but, but that's a lot in a lot of ways, the way Batman is with Catwoman in, in various iterations is he's just enthralled with her essence. I guess you would say like whatever, whatever it is that he's attracted to about her. It's just something that like mesmerizes him and in a way blinds him in a lot of cases. And, it's interesting in this movie because he wants to help her. He says in the scene with them in Wayne Manor that like he had a girlfriend. It didn't work out because he told her everything. And as a kid, I kind of had this like idea in my mind that why Vicky Vale would have left. Right. And Mm. this is totally off topic, but this is like a thought that I had. I actually wrote like an outline of a script for it. And essentially, after he reveals that he's Batman and he tells her all of his deep, dark secrets, she was so dis- like almost disgusted by him or like afraid of him because he's got this, this Batman is a killer. This Batman murders people. And this Batman is dark and twisted and he's got this weird element to him. And I wonder if for a relatively normal person or sane person i don't like to use the word normal but like sane rational person she saw this person as not who she expected and was afraid of him whereas the michelle pfeiffer selena kyle character she's as broken as he is and that's why he's so you know taken by her you know they recognize something in each other yeah that someone who leads a more normal life, a non-vigilante life, a non-mask-wearing life isn't going to understand. And that's pretty much there from, well, I mean, I can't say from the beginning. I haven't read, like, the early comics. But that's, it's there. And it's an established part of their relationship and their attraction. And, Stephen, this is for you. It's part of their UST, if you know what that means. Unresolved sexual tension. For uh, all the nerds, thank you. There you go. Touche, touche. You know what else it also is? Each of these Batman movies came from a different era, and each one was like a hard reboot of the previous one. Mm-hmm. So Wayne Manor's different. Gotham City's different. Yeah. His love interest is different. Uh, his suit's a little different. Uh, so like each one pays a little bit of, you know, like there's like a little bit of a through line. Alfred's the same. Commissioner Gordon's the same. But even between Batman Returns and Batman Forever, another hard reboot, there's a brief mention of Catwoman in Batman Forever. And then he has a new love interest. And then in 
Batman and Robin, Chase Meridian's not mentioned at all. All right. So like they each kind of their own like it's weird because there's sequels, but they're also their own individual movies that mm-hmm. are part of the series. Um, one of my favorite jokes when I was in middle school was my friend Chris always used to make fun of the title of this movie because he said Batman Returns. Where did he go? He was in Gotham the whole time. Where is he returning from? That's a good point, because one of the things that is a theme of the those four Batman movies, each one takes place in a different season. Batman 89 is like October, November. This one is clearly Christmas. The next one, Forever, is kind of springtimey. And then... Uh, uh, Batman and Robin is the summer, which then Mr. Freeze turns to an eternal winter. It's almost, they were like going with the theme of that. But the thing that bothered me about this is like, if it's, let's say if the Joker happened one month prior to this, how did Batman get all these new bat suits, totally change all of it? Like all this new gadgets he didn't have before the bat cave is totally different. It's like, wait, how long has he been Batman? How was he, was there been no villain since the Joker? Like, I don't know what happened in that gap of time, which is a little confusing too. I always thought it was at least a couple of years. Cause I mean, it was three years between these movies. Yeah. I don't know. I had and assumed it was you, the next winter. Like, like a year, 13 like, months. Let's say 13, yeah. That's what I kind of yeah. figured too. Like a year and change later. That's kind of what my thought process was. The other thing is, you know, you mentioned Alfred and you mentioned, uh, Commissioner Gordon. Alfred's in this for basically three scenes, maybe four scenes. He's almost an afterthought in this movie. He doesn't serve much of a purpose in this movie at all. Commissioner Gordon literally has, I counted, three lines in the whole film, and that's it. Wow. He's literally walking next to Batman twice and has three lines of dialogue in the whole movie. And I'm like, what? Commissioner Gordon? That's it? That's all you got for him? Poor Pat like, Hingle. Yeah, like, I mean, he got a paycheck, great for him, but it just, it doesn't, you know, they never give him anything to do as Commissioner Gordon in any of the four movies, and it's really unfortunate for that, but whatever. So anyway, Bruce and Selina are having this remote romantic thing in, the, in Wayne Manor, then they see that they're relighting the Christmas tree, and that's where the whole plan for Penguin and the Catwoman is going to frame Batman, and it culminates to... The penguin making the ice princess fall off of a building using a an umbrella that he, she throws at him that pops out bats and yells out lawn dart and she falls off this giant building and lands perfectly on the button she would have to have pressed to light the tree, which in the beginning of the movie, she had to remember that you press the button, then the tree comes on. And she kept saying that to herself. Like, they made her the ditziest character they could possibly come up with. It was really, really something. But a little while later, Catwoman says to Penguin, I didn't know we were going to kill her. We didn't have to kill her. And again, this is this, this through line that she's not a killer. Like, she doesn't want to kill. She just, you know has this vengeance for one person essentially. And then Penguin pulls out this giant weird ring and proposes to her and she rejects him and he throws her off of a roof. She falls into this greenhouse, which I was hoping they were going to somehow tease 
poison ivy, but they don't. It's just sort of there. And then she lets out this scream and shatters all the glass. And I'm like, wow. Like, <laughs> she's She's got super strength that she can break through a, a steel wall to pull out a, a pipe. And then she's got a super scream to break all the windows. Wow. She's got some unique powers that, that Catwoman has never had. I was, I'm like, ah, whatever. I don't care. I'll go with it. Great. She's like Emilio Estevez in Breakfast Club when he screams and breaks the glass in the library. No one? Sure. <laughs> No one knows what I'm talking anyone, about. I've never anyone? Seen it's a good it's a good movie. I don't remember that line though, that, okay. that moment. <laughs> Can I just say Batman is really bad at being Batman in this movie? He just stands there like an idiot while the Ice Queen is falling off the building. Right. He doesn't dive after, he doesn't use a grappling gun, he doesn't do anything. Like, he's got this apparent, you know, bat wing that pops up and he could have gone down and got her. Like I th- he just does nothing and it's it's very weird. But again, Michael Keaton is given nearly nothing to do in this movie other than just be Batman, period. <laughs> just... Yeah, because, like, Annie, I remember you saying around the 35-minute mark, where's Batman? I, I yeah. said, pause the movie because he had just popped up for the second time. He was briefly at the beginning, and then I'm like, okay, there he is again. Pa- pause the movie. We were 38 minutes in, and I was like, he just shows up now? Like, what's going yeah. on? Is this a Batman movie? It really doesn't feel like it. And he doesn't really propel the movie forward. It's really the villains. And he's more that are moving the, reactive yeah. to everything. And isn't great at his job. But we haven't gotten to the the one scene that really bothered me about what happened. Oh, interesting. But even still, like, when he does first appear, like, they light up the bad signal. And then there's these big other lights on Wayne Manor that <laughs> that somehow capture that light. And reflected to like three different points on the manor into like his study. And I said to myself, you've got a 500 year old mansion, let's say. Nobody noticed these giant bat things you built on the outside of the, the house. Like, okay, yeah. nobody. It, it, it's a cool looking moment. It's beautiful. And like when the light comes through and he stands up and he looks out, it's really cool. But I'm like, again. Nobody comes to Wayne Manor ever, but okay, fine. It's yeah. in a remote location of New York. Yeah, nobody I goes guess so. there. It's, it's fine. Yeah, it's just outside of Westchester. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, one more thing about this scene with the Ice Queen. So Penguin hurls a wand dart. The like the bats circle around as this woman falls to her death. And Batman's idea is, I'm going to go fly over the crowd with my rigid bat wings. Basically saying, I did it. It was me. Yeah. I was the one who killed this woman. Look at me fly over my bat wings. It's just like the most obnoxious I mean, what's the other option? It. He runs away Goes, and looks guilty anyway? I don't know. Yeah. So this is the weird thing about that is Batman is standing next to the penguin. The penguin just killed the ice queen, ice princess. He couldn't capture him right then and there. Like, hey. Look at this umbrella that the guy threw. Here it is. Like you couldn't just do it. Like you have to run away. Like Batman wouldn't do that. I don't know. Like just doesn't. He make doesn't any do sense. anything. He had doesn't opportunities to catch them, to catch the penguin, and yeah. doesn't. Several yeah. times. Well, maybe he was distracted by Penguin's naked sexual charisma, as he <laughs> describes himself. Naked sexual charisma. He was distracted by someone, but it wasn't the penguin. Yeah, I guess so. He had a bat boner. <laughs> um, and here, one more thing. So we, we talked about uh, Penguin shoving Catwoman to her death because mm-hmm. she rejects his advances. 
it's not like Penguin's just trying to sleep with Catwoman. He's trying to sleep with every female in this movie. So the fact that Catwoman rejects him, I'm just like, like everybody's rejecting you. You're gross. You're hitting right. on everyone. Why is Catwoman the, the straw that broke the, the, the Penguin's back? Maybe he views her as an equal in this. The other women Maybe. are side characters. Conquests. Yeah, but she would mm. be an equal who can bring him mm. martinis or whatever he said. Yeah. Rub rub his feet or something like that, or rub his flipper or something yeah. like that. She says, "I don't know." But again, you you made this very good point earlier, Stephen. That like they set this stuff, this character up in the beginning as this like sad, unfortunate, you know, abandoned baby. But they just keep reinforcing that whatever happened to him in the sewers made him a disgusting pig monster, essentially. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and he was clearly running the Red Triangle circus gang and kidnapping yeah. people and uh, disappearing before questioning and all that kind of stuff. So so Batman finally thwarts the Penguin's political plans, which I thought the whole mayor angle was one of the dumbest things in this whole movie. It's so annoying. It's so dumb. Looking at it in a lens of 2021. OK, <laughs> it's not impossible. It's not. Not well, implausible. Well, right, before, <laughs> right before the uh, I played the stinking city like a harp from hell moment, mm-hmm. Penguin says, and I wrote it down. Sorry. The glory that I yearn to recapture is the glory of Gotham. So in a way, he wants to make Gotham great again. Mm. So, <laughs> hmm. That's it. Glad there's no hat for that. <laughs> <laughs> so Just bile. Yes. So instead, um, he gets behind this vile Cretan and the Gothamites, you know, hurl tomatoes and vegetables at the penguin because, you know, as Stephen just said, you know, he played the city like a harp from hell, which the question I had with that was like, so Batman inserts a CD into the Batmobile. In 92, you could not burn a CD. It didn't exist. There was no technology for that yet. But okay, it's Batman. His technology is a little bit more advanced, so whatever. He invented it. Great. But, you know, he goes in the Batcave. He's got this Batman CD changer with the Batman logo on the top of it. I was like, (laughs) all right, okay. He's branding his own stuff. Cool, fine, whatever. He's DJing on the ones and twos to, to remix it. (laughs) <laughs> and they keep doing it over and over again. And Penguin yells out, I'm not a human being. I am an animal. And he does this majestic swan dive over the crowd and like a backflip and this and that. And he gets himself into the sewer magically. I was like, how does this guy move like he this? Can barely, I don't he know. can barely hobble up and down the stairs. There's no way right. he's flipping over There's anything. There's no way. Yeah. Like, like he does this majestic dive that I'm like, my God, I think <laughs> it makes no sense. He's very aer- aerodynamic. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, now we have this, this subplot that comes out, which the whole point of Penguin's whole thing is he wants to kidnap all the firstborn sons of Gotham and drown them in the Gotham sewer water to seek vengeance for his family abandoning him. And this is like one of those cheesy villain one-dimensional plot twist things that I'm just like, 
Oh, I just hated it so much. I hated it as a kid. I hated it even more as an adult. I'm like, this is such a dumb idea. It really annoyed me. But, yeah. Yes. He was their number one son, and they they treated him like number two. Yeah, he says that in the movie, too. Mm -hmm. Um, But we don't ever find out if they had another son. We don't know if they had any other children. We don't ever know that if this was one and done for them, and they never had another kid. We don't know. Well, we'll get to that as we we talk about the previous script. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, there's some some trivia about to come your way. So then there's this, like, Max Shrek ball which i guess you would assume would have been like a new year's eve ball but it's still christmas so i don't even know if it's christmas eve or what i don't know they, they don't establish what night it is holiday parties yeah i'm gonna say it's christmas yeah. eve something like that yeah and so everyone's wearing these you know masks that are sort of like um Steven, what's that movie with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman? Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes yeah, Wide Shut. You got like the masquerade masks where they hold them up to their faces. Yeah. And the only two people not wearing masks are Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle because if you know anything about Batman, Batman always says that Bruce Wayne is the actual mask and Batman is who he really is. Fine. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just the whole thing. It's a clever and little bit. I like that. It, it is. I do too. And I, I love it because it's it's this is probably one of the most beautiful scenes in the movie. Just like all the masks, the way the thing is lit, them dancing together. Her dress is beautiful. Her hair is really nice. Like it's just a breathtaking moment. Then they have that reveal of the mistletoe where, you know, they, they say like, you know, a uh, mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. Uh, a kiss could be more deadlier if you mean it, which they said to each other as, as Batman and, and Catwoman. It's this beautiful moment. And then they, you know, she reveals that she wants to shoot and kill Max Shrek. And he tries to usher her out of there to go have a conversation. And then this moment is spoiled by the penguin bursting through the floor in this giant duck. The question I had was like, <laughs> So assume this is in the Max Shrek office building, right? This is probably way, way up in a penthouse. That's my guess, right? Because they want to go to the roof, so they're probably close to the roof. How many floors up did this duck blast from the sewers all the way up through the building? I don't know. It doesn't make sense. It's, just, it's very confusing. But it pissed me off because I'm like, I want to see that moment. I want to see the two of them have a conversation outside of the building and talk like, and, and the movie robs me of that for this. Gotta move the plot along. We gotta, you know, get penguin to steal the, the firstborn son. Then he's got to steal Max Shrek's awful acting son, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And, And it just was like, Oh man, it just really bummed me out. And the third act of this movie really, really sucks in a lot of ways is because it's just not well thought out. It just feels rushed. It's just not great. And so now we're thrust into this third act and then uh, Max Shrek decides he's going to take, I'm sorry, the penguin's going to take Max Shrek instead of the sun because Christopher Walken manipulates the penguin yet again to trick him into doing what he wants. And so he takes him, he puts him in this like bird cage in the sewer. And now Batman has the the supercharged bat boat, which I also have oh, here as oh, well. Oh, look at that. Ooh, yeah. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, this is this is very cool. This is one of my favorite things. And and so 
you know, he must be driving through these sewers for miles because this thing's doing got to be 200 miles an hour through the sewers and he's taking forever to get there. And Penguin deploys all of his penguins who are equipped with rocket launchers because, because Batman, you know, stopped all the children from getting kidnapped by this creepy drive along street train of the, the circus people, but he only beats up the driver and there's just a ton of other people there. I don't don't know if he beats him up. We're just left to assume that he did. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine, whatever. Um, And so, Penguin's trying to escape because he knows Batman is coming, and Alfred's only moment in the movie is that he is able to jam the signal of any frequency ever, period, and he jams the frequency of this Penguin rocket launchers that are in Rockefeller Center, essentially, and turns them around, have them come all the way back to the Gotham Zoo, which seems to be around the corner, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's relatively close. And and then Batman has, the you know, he crashes through the ceiling, lands on top of the duck, breaks the duck's head off, but doesn't land on the penguin. And then the penguin comes flying off the top. And again, the aloof Batman in this movie doesn't see him coming. He doesn't know where no, he is. No. It just, just, oh, shit, he's there. Great. <laughs> Fantastic. He's not a subtle character. You would see that that little guy jumping at you. Yeah, you'd think so. And, you know, they have a skirmish and this remote trigger, Batman drops and the penguin picks up and presses the button and the rockets all aim at the penguin and shoot at him. <sighs> God, I don't know. I'm like, at this point, I'm... And listen, I love Batman. And there are things about this movie I do love, but I was just like, when the Penguin Bombers and this, I was just like, let's get to the end. Let's get to the the last bit of this movie. Penguin falls through the glass into the water, and now we go back downstairs, and Max Shrek has gotten the keys to this birdcage from a monkey. He's trying to escape, and Catwoman stops him, and she's basically ready to kill him, and she's you know, ready to do it. And Batman shows up and tries to talk her out of it and tries to reason with her. And basically he says, listen, you don't need to kill, even though he strapped a bomb to a random guy and threw him into a sewer and blew him up. Okay. You know, whatever. Batman could be a murderer, but I, I almost wonder if it's one of those takes of like, Hey, you don't want to go down the road that I went down. Kind of a theory. They don't really establish that, but I'm, 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 in my mind's eye, that's what I'm thinking. So he tries to convince her that, you know, this is not the right path. And there's another way. And he says to her, Selena, don't you see we're split? We're, we're, we're the same right down the center. And then he tears off his mask to reveal that he's Batman. And people constantly complain that in every one of these movies, somebody always figures out who Batman is. Or he comes out and straight up tells him. Yes, he does. You know. This particular moment, I understand it. I don't hate it. Except for the fact that it goes from eye black and the we're the same (laughs) to no eye black one second later, pulls the mask off, and he's got this perfectly, you know, manicured face and whatever. And I'm like, it would have been better if the 
if the cr- cast and crew were like, let's keep the eye black on, because when he tears it off, she's got the eye black on, and so does he. Then they look kind of the same, unless it looks just so bizarre. <laughs> like, I don't I'm know sure if they it tried like it. Uncle Fester. It, it probably looks so weird that they're like, we, they probably did a take like that. Like, yeah, we can't use this. And they just did this <laughs> other awkward moment, which is not good either. I would have just been like, don't do it at all then. You know, don't pull the mask off at all. Max Shrek is like, oh, why are you just like Batman? And he's like, and, and Selena's like, he is Batman. <laughs> like, how do you not know this? I can not yeah. tell. And so, you know, Max then pulls out a revolver, shoots Batman. He falls down. Then he puts three or four bullets into Catwoman and she keeps coming mm-hmm. and she's, and she's counting down her lives, which, okay, whatever, fine. And then she pulls out the, this like taser that she steals from one of the gang earlier in the movie, grabs on an electrical wire, uses the taser, goes in, kisses him or, you know, whatever, electrocutes him, fries him almost the same way that the Joker fries one of the gang members in, in Batman 89. Mm-hmm. But, you know, after that happens, Batman gets up, just digging through the rubble. She's gone, but his body's there. Penguin then rises up out of the water because he, he's not dead yet. He goes and grabs an umbrella and he he clicks it and he goes, oh, I pulled the cute one and he falls into the, falls down and the penguins usher him into the ocean, into the water or whatever and he sinks to the bottom. Penguin funeral. Traditional penguin funeral. <laughs> there it is. And and then we have this moment where Bruce Wayne is in the back of the one of Alfred's cars and they're driving through the city and they see a shadowy figure of Catwoman. They stop the car. They get out. He looks for her. She's not there. But then one of her cats shows up and he picks up the cat and brings it in the car. And Alfred has this, you know, come what may, goodwill towards men and women zoom up you know pan up and we see catwoman's reveal and the one thing i want to point out about this is and i thought was really a good touch in this movie every time catwoman gets wounded or injured the this costume you know maintains the fraying or the tearing or the mm-hmm. damage or she's like half-ass fixes it but at the end of the movie she's totally fixed the costume in this like moment of reveal and it really bummed me out when this movie was over knowing you know, years later, I'll never see the payoff. I don't know what happens next to these two characters. And it still to this day bothers me that I don't know where they went next. And years later, I was able to get the, you know, Batman Returns graphic novel. Okay. And the reason why I bought it was because in the Batman 89 one, there's an extended ending where it kind of shows what happens to, you know, Vicki Vale and Batman moments later. This it literally ends on the same moment of she's just there, but it doesn't even have the pan up on her as well. Like it's just the car just drives away. No, no, nothing. Well, that was an additional shot. The whole Catwoman reveal at the end. That was not Which, initially in the script. It was not initially shot. And it's a, it's a, it's it's a body a, double. Yeah. It's a, it's a body double. It's not actually Michelle Pfeiffer. Right. Uh, just cause they hadn't planned on putting that in there. But it's a beautiful moment, and it it it, okay. it harkens back to the. Fir- you don't like it? It's fine. It's just like one of those. You know, it's like uh, at the end of Super Mario Brothers the movie when the princess bursts in and says, "Oh, there's going to be another adventure." It kind of it's sets not, up a it's sequel. Not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. It sets up this sequel that that just never obviously happens. Yeah, and we can get into I, that as we go through this. 
I think it harkens back to the first one where Batman's on top of the, the thing and they light the bat signal for the first time. It's kind of the same sort of thing. Sort of, but it's such a weird quick shot. It's just like she lifts her head up and then it cuts. And that's yeah. it. So we've kind of dabbled in it a little bit, but Steven, want to take us a little bit through you know, some of the information that you have about the cast and so on and so forth? Sure. So we have Michael Keaton, who returns to play the Cape Crusader. Uh, recently on the on the WTF podcast, he said that the only reason he did it was because there was a real estate deal that he wanted to take part in. Really? <laughs> yes. And he has. And he. I think he said he hadn't really seen the movie. Yeah, I read that. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. He never so, watched yeah. the entire final cut of the movie. He's probably better off. <laughs> so there you go. And you know, like people often say, Michael Keaton's the best Batman. Michael Keaton's the best Batman. Are they just talking about Batman 1989? Because I think so. Because this movie, Batman sucks. He, he's not not as good as the first one. And it feels, because they didn't give him enough to do, moments feel like it's a little bit phoned in. And he just doesn't have, like, there are moments where Batman is standing there and, like, he doesn't look menacing. He looks Michael Keaton height, you know, 5'9", mm-hmm. short, you know, a guy in a costume. You know, he doesn't look like Batman. Yeah. Uh, so we have Danny DeVito as Oswald, as Oswald Cobblepot slash the Penguin. Uh, so this was rumored way back in 1989. I remember renting a tape called Batmania where they, okay. you know, they plugged the Batman movie. And at the end of the tape, they said, Danny DeVito is rumored to play the Penguin. Cher is rumored to play Catwoman. And Robin Williams is rumored to play the Riddler. So, I mean, it was basically the ideal casting for this movie. Uh, there's been some talk that other actors, namely Dustin Hoffman, was up for the role. Uh, there was even an unfounded rumor that Marlon Brando was considered, which Jim Burton himself shot down. Uh, he says it was always going to be to be Danny DeVito, and no one else was ever considered. So what are your thoughts on Danny DeVito in this role? Like I said earlier, I mean, nobody else could have played the Penguin. I just wish they didn't use whatever reimagining of the Penguin that they chose. Like, if they gave it more of a, you know, quirky gangster Penguin... That would have been cooler, and I think that would have been better suited for Danny DeVito than this freakish monster that they make. He does a great job, but yeah, they they push it. He almost like when I watch him on It's Always Sunny, I feel like it's the same character <laughs> when he plays Frank Frank Reynolds. It's not that oh, Frank Reynolds. Is it? He gets there. He gets there. Maybe I'm but not he's, remembering. He's just, but There's yeah. a couple of moments that I can think of. <laughs> he could have played a sympathetic villain so well. And it's yeah. such a shame that he gets saddled with this horrible makeup and disgusting, mat- like matted hair and oh, weird the hair padding. And, and yeah, and see, seeing it in HD doesn't do it any no. justice. I'll <laughs> so we have Michelle Pfeiffer as Selena Kyle Catwoman. Uh, every actress in Hollywood was rumored to be up for this role uh, from Cher to Madonna to Susan Sarandon. It initially went to Annette Bening, who had to mm-hmm. drop out when Dick Tracy got her pregnant uh, after much discussion, it went to Michelle Pfeiffer, who was a potential choice for Vicky Vale in the original Batman as well, when Sean Young uh, was injured during the horse riding scene. Sean Young really wanted this role and oh, showed up yeah. to Tim Burton's office in a cat suit, which mm-hmm. is, you know, very strange. What's everyone's thoughts on Michelle Pfeiffer? She's amazing. I Again, I don't think anybody could have done this role better. And she is transformative at times like she, i think she's the whole movie could have been about her and there was supposed to be a movie just about her at one point that never happened about the michelle pfeiffer gonna... catwoman yeah yeah oh, yeah she yeah it's, it's great i when i think of catwoman i don't think necessarily of this catwoman but 
it is a very iconic portrayal and like really intense and like ferocious and sexy. I, I like when I think of Catwoman, I think of a combination of this and the Batman the Animated Series Catwoman because they're they're of the same time period. And I just I just whenever I think of like Selena Kyle though, I think of Michelle mm-hmm. Pfeiffer's look with the curly hair. Like I just think it just looks beautiful and they just light her so nice. They they everything about it, the character I think is so good, in my opinion. Andy, Steven, which which, uh, which Catwoman do you think of the most? Julie Newmar. Me too. I know. She's very <laughs> I know. She's very, she's very like Yes, he's he's mentioned Julie Newmar many times well, today. Come on. She's Catwoman. And you she's know, still like got what it. I love she's great. She's got it. She's got it. I agree. Maybe someday if I get rid of my Batman 66 Funko Pop, I'll, I'll give you my my Julie Newmar Ooh. one. Okay. Okay. I would appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you. Uh, I'll put in my will for you. <laughs> uh, I'll say that, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer really commits. She goes for it. She had that live bird in her mouth that she spits out. She's vacuum sealed in this costume. Recently, a clip went viral where you see her doing that whip trick with the mannequins, and mm-hmm. she's the one doing that stunt. Uh, she's really good. It's just, it might be the best bat villain performance of these first four movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, after Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze, obviously. Oh, obviously. How could anybody, <laughs> you know, top that? Yeah, she's fantastic. Funny I mean, enough, on Michelle Pfeiffer's Instagram, her first two posts ever, she still has the whip. Oh, and she, and she was practicing in her backyard. She's like, still got it, and she was whipping things yeah. off on her, on her. In you know, thirty years later, it's pretty amazing. That's and awesome. And it's yeah, she's still she's like. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, not quite sure like where to interject this. Um, if we're going to talk more about it later, but it's it's also just such. A feminist role. It came in like during the third wave of feminism in the 90s. I am Catwoman, hear me roar, which is obviously a play on I am woman, hear me roar. And it really spoke to a lot of women. I'm not saying it didn't speak Mm -hmm. to men, but it resonated with women. And it's hard not to think of her, this specific Catwoman, when thinking about like Catwoman in general. But um, yeah, it, it really fit in with the time period and she blew it out of the park. I mean, or out of the water. Like it was amazing. You make a very good point because this is a superhero movie with a female lead who doesn't need to be saved by the hero. Mm -hmm. Right. She doesn't need to be rescued. She's not the damsel in distress. She's got disassociative issues or what have you. But even when Batman tries to save her. She doesn't want his help. She says, I'm going to do this on my own. And it's it's a good sign of the times because of the fact that they might have just made it. Oh, okay, Batman, you can help me. And she doesn't want it. And I find that very refreshing. And at the very end, you know, she rejects his offer. I I don't want to live in the castle with you. She rejects that because she knows it's not true to herself. And that's also kind of a sign of the times as well, where um, women were choosing maybe career over domestic life. And, you know, not necessarily to be a stay at home parent, but maybe even getting married and having mm-hmm. kids. So it's really interesting. I don't know if Tim Burton did that on purpose, if he knew that this was kind of like this emerging movement, but it really resonates. Yeah, I think so too. It seems to be the part that he's most uh, drawn to in this movie. That's true. 
Oh yeah, uh, they they definitely spent the most time fleshing out the Catwoman character and and dealing with that and giving that an identity. And I think that's important in this movie. If they didn't, if she was one dimensional, it would have been forgettable, which is would have been unfortunate. Yes, and finally we have Christopher Walken as Max Shrek. David Bowie was, I think, the initial choice for this role, but it went to Christopher Walken. I think Bowie would have been better. <laughs> I I like this is the first thing I saw Christopher Walken in because I was a me kid, too, and I was watching a lot of Christopher Walken movies, and I just thought his whole delivery was strange and his whole being was strange. I like him as Max Shrek. I think he's really cool, and we'll get to as we're going to get to this, but he feels disconnected from the story at times. Oh yeah, and especially from I the Penguin. That. And that was because of a like a kind of a rewrite that happened before production. Mm. So because you know he could have been the big bad, and you wouldn't have needed the penguin. He could, they could have just made him the main villain. Mm-hmm. His wig is very distracting in the movie, very very distracting at times. But like, um, I I always hated this character growing up. Now rewatching it, I hate the penguin, and I see I like him better in this movie than I did the penguin. Well, do you know what the name Max Shrek is a reference to? I learned it once years ago, but I'm drawing a blank off the top of my head. He was the actor that played Nosferatu. Oh, yeah. In the silent film. Oh, oh, yeah. So that's the reference. Max Shrek. Moving on. So, you know, Michael, you know, when you and, and Adam started the Wizard podcast, it was right around the dawn of Batman Returns. And so mm-hmm. the movie was covered a lot in the early issues of Wizard. Uh, it was covered extensively in issue number nine which was fittingly the first episode that I was on. I was a guest on that episode. The article was called Who's Who and Batman Returns. Uh, That's right. I, I vaguely remember that now. <laughs> so this article got most of the big points correct. Uh, it nails down the origins of Penguin and Catwoman and even describes a scene where uh, Bruce gives Alfred a hard time about letting Vicky Vale in the Batcave. Mm-hmm. One thing that they mention that did not happen in the movie was a Riddler reference uh, and that leads to the bulk of Mangle's article, something that did not happen, which I'm calling the Robin of it all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. One quick note. I remember once my dad was driving me around town and he's like, hey, I was reading the newspaper. Uh, they said they cast Pee Wee as the Riddler's father in Batman Returns. <laughs> and I was like, really? OK. And it, <laughs> he got some of it right. Anyway, so hey, that's that's better than my dad ever would have got. So. <laughs> So, so Mangles reveals in, in this article that Marlon Wayans will be playing a character named The Kid, which is not unlike Dick Tracy. Uh, now, while publicists claim the part had been dropped from the film, Mangles uh, speculates that they're lying through their teeth. According to his sources, The Kid is a grease monkey whiz kid mechanic who helps Batman fix the Batmobile and saves his life. Furthermore, people in the know have revealed that The Kid's uniform has an R with a circle on it. It turns out that Mangles was writing about the earlier Daniel Waterstraff before it was rewritten by Wesley Strick. And you mentioned that Alfred was helping Batman descramble the penguin things. That Mm -hmm. was going to be Robin's bit. And so you want to act this out, Michael? You can play Batman. I'll play the kid. Sure, you can play the kid. Guess I won't be needing to borrow the descrambler anymore. At least not for a while. We saved the city or what? Getting there. I owe you two. Got a name? Yeah, but I like to be called Robin. Nice name. Oh, Robin? When Batman turns back around, the kid, Robin, is gone. Batman smiles at the utilization of one of his own traits. 
so yeah, Robin is kind of an afterthought in this script. He comes in when Batman is driving the Batmobile that has been kind of hijacked by the Penguin, and he drives it directly into Robin's garage, and Robin fixes it. And that's kind of their relationship. And Robin's sitting there reading a Batman comic. It's Batman. almost the reverse of Jason Todd, though, whereas Jason Todd's first reveal is that he steals tires off the Batmobile. Well, and this this Robin does steal stuff. He's constantly stealing things from cars. So he's got a little bit of the Jason Todd in him, but he's Dick Grayson. Or no, he's just Robin. He doesn't even he's not even called Dick he's, Grayson. He's the kid. <laughs> so basically it says that Waters referred to Robin as the most worthless character in the world, especially with Batman as the loner of all loners. This shows that in his version of the script, uh, you know, he basically he does zero with the character. He shows very little respect to Robin, at least in Sam Hamm's script, paid a little more attention to it. Um, so, Stephen, what did you feel of the lack of Robin in this movie? It was my biggest complaint in 1992. I remember a kid in my class had seen it opening weekend, and I said, is Robin in it? Is there a mention of Robin in it? Is there anything to do with Robin in this movie? And he said no. And I was really bummed out, because I was basically anticipating that the second movie would involve Robin. And I think he, I think you feel the loss of a character that Batman can talk to that isn't Catwoman or Alfred. You know, Batman doesn't have a lot of interactions with people in this movie that aren't villains. Right. Well, like I said, he's got three lines with Commissioner Gordon, period. And, you know, for me, I don't particularly care if Robin's not in the movie, to be honest with you. I feel like in the real world, Robin doesn't make any sense. In the comic book world, sure, it makes fine sense. Lacking Robin, again, doesn't have any, makes this movie have less levity and it still feels very heavy. There's no jokes. There's no humor. There's no childlike whimsy, if you will. Do I care that Robin's in it? Particularly, no. I felt that this movie was already, you know, oversaturated with too many characters. To add another one would have been a mistake that they couldn't have paid enough attention to. I'm going to have to say that. I would like Robin in a movie, but I don't know that there's room for him here. There's already so much going on, and I don't know where you're going to fit him in. Right. Well, just to have Batman to, you know, to talk to someone else who's not one of the villains. There's already so much going on with the villains. It's it's too much. Now, hold on. We're missing something major here. The circus. A great entry for Robin. Penguin runs the Red Triangle circus game. No, I know. Robin is a circus acrobat. Are you kidding me? We couldn't squeeze <laughs> Robin in here? I know, but... The what, villain's running an evil circus. But like, what, what would be worse? Not having Robin in at all. Or having him in this insignificant part. Because yeah, there's not a, having Robin in at okay, all is worse. My bad, my bad. I, no, I... I... I agree with you. I think he's think Stephen's wrong on this case. What? You know, you know what I? <laughs> you know what I think? It, you you couldn't cut five minutes of Penguin trying to hit on everyone and and being horny for people. And if they did, that would have been great. I thought there was too much Penguin and too much going on. But in this movie, as it stands, with all of the complicated plots and whatever, there's just so mm-hmm. much already happening. That yeah. you're like, now we, we're adding this mechanic Robin. and Now, on the contrary, though, a character that isn't in this movie that was in the first one that is sorely missed is Billy D. Williams' Harvey Dent. Yes. And I, I feel like 
if they had gone the route of the Dark Knight, where Batman and Harvey Dent sort of become sort of like friends or, you know, allies, if you will, he could have that character to talk to. And then the big twist at the end would have been maybe Max Shrek, you know, burned Harvey Dent, and that would have spawned into Two-Face in the next, in the third movie. That I thought would have been a better angle than bringing in Robin, because you already established Harvey Dent in the first movie, (laughs) and then you can make Two-Face in the second movie. Well, it's interesting that you say that, because for years I've heard that Max Shrek was initially going to be Harvey Dent, and Harvey Dent was going to be scarred by Catwoman in the end scene, and that was going to set up Batman 3. 3. With him being Two-Face. But I found no evidence of this. Yeah. In in my research, it was just something I heard. You know, in a way, I feel like Billy D. Williams was too charismatic for the sideshow freak movie that uh, Tim Burton wanted to make. Billy D. Williams doesn't have that energy. He's just like such a naturally charming human being. And you don't believe him as this weirdo outsider, whereas Christopher Walken is like a, like a weirdo a, outsider. Like a space alien <laughs> when he speaks. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, the interesting thing was I did read the Daniel Waters draft that came before the Wesley Strick rewrite, and there were Mm -hmm. a lot of big changes in it, some of which are pretty significant. First of all, the penguin becomes mayor thing was in the initial confrontation between Shrek and penguin penguins going to kill Shrek. And then Shrek says, I'll make you mayor. And that's why he doesn't get killed. It has nothing to do with, with blackmail. And Max kills Selena because she catches him talking to Penguin and plotting this mayoral run. It has nothing to do with this file drawer and Geraldo. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and Geraldo the dog. Catwoman, Catwoman murders Chip in this script as hmm. well by creating some quicksand concoction on the floor. And he sinks into pink quicksand. So halfway through the hmm. movie, uh, Chip is killed. Uh, and then the Penguin's campaign workers, here named Punch and Juliet, have much bigger roles acting more like henchmen. And so in the Mangles uh, article in Wizard, he mentioned the Riddler thing. And so at the end of the script, uh, Punch and Juliet are like, oh, I guess the Penguin's done. Maybe we can go work for the Riddler. And that's their plan, is to work Mm. for the Riddler. And then they get blown up by a Penguin bomb. So yeah, so the big change that that I found in this script is that Max Shrek is really Penguin's older brother. And in the opening scene, you see this kid, this blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid, staring into the Penguin's cage. And then in the end of the movie, they reenact that scene, and Shrek realizes, or Penguin realizes it was Shrek? Penguin realizes it was Shrek. But it defeats the whole firstborn sons of Gotham angle thing. Yes. And so in, in this script as well, Oswald Cobblepot is just a name that Punch and Julia came up with because they think it sounds good. It's not his actual name. He's not from the Cobblepot family. He's from the Shrek family. And Max says, I like the idea of a brother playing catch, measles, double dates. Did not quite work out, did it? God, I, re- I remember the first time I looked at you in that playpen, those eyes, that nose. I always wondered why mom and dad waited a whole week before throwing you down the sewer. So that to me, it's dark, but it at least connects Max Shrek and Penguin in a way that does not exist in this movie. Right. It makes a little, it it gives a a good through line if they were brothers, that would make more sense. And, you know, yeah, that's actually really funny because I was thinking how much more interesting it would be if Shrek were the Penguin's brother. 
at a certain point yeah. when we were watching. There you go. It would have been really cool. There's some, you know, joking between Shrek and Wayne when he's like, you guys would have been prep school buddies. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So Penguin does belong to that, you know, aristocratic rich guys of Gotham thing, but he's an outcast. And like a better yeah. motivation than... I think so, too. Well, maybe I, being thrown down a sewer is pretty good motivation. <laughs> I also have to point out one thing. Going back to one thing we've talked about a lot is about Bat- Batman being pretty dumb in this movie. How is it possible that the Penguin and the, the gang are able to get blueprints to the Batmobile and hack the Batmobile in the middle of a street and, you know, take it apart almost completely but all they need to do is install one a little thing on the bottom of it to control the Batmobile. How is that possible? How could that possibly happen? This part so bothered me more than the killing. I'm like, how is he that dumb <laughs> that he would right. allow this to happen? How right. he's like supposed to be this genius billionaire, whatever millionaire, billionaire, I don't know, and he lets this happen. How? How is it not more secure? Right. My Who car? could hack that thing in like? Like they literally have the, how do they even find the blueprints? Like how are their blueprints for the Batmobile? Like it's, it's so ridiculous that they can figure out how to t- hack into it. It's so crazy. And it makes me so mad in this movie. Well, let's say that the penguin had some 13 or 14 year old computer hacker kid working in the circus, maybe a <laughs> combination of Tim Drake and Dick Grayson. Mm-hmm. Maybe then that would have worked. <laughs> Sold. I'm coming up with all these ways to include Robin, and no one wants to hear it out. No, I thought that was a really good no. idea. I said sold. My own, my own wife betrayed me. I'm, <laughs> I just think it's a very busy movie. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Lose Shrek. We don't need him. Shrek? I uh, thought Penguin. Yeah, lose Penguin and Shrek. Yeah. Anyway. Pen- Penguin needs to go, period. Just make it a friendship movie where Batman become, becomes friends with Robin. You don't need bad guys. I think we're venturing into fan fiction territory right now. All right. I'll write it. Okay. So, you know, let's, let's put this movie into, into historical context. Okay. Uh, it was released on June 19th, 1992. The budget for this movie was $80 million and it went on to gross 162 million compared to the first Batman film. This was a huge disappointment, which is why they ended up going in a different direction three years later with Batman forever. Uh, in terms of domestic box office, this was the third highest grossing movie of 1992. Can you guess what number one and number two were? Terminator 2. Nope, that was 1991. Right. Anna, 92. So, Can you think of any movies that you saw? Of course not. 92. You saw this in theaters. 92. Was it one of the first movies I saw in theaters? Maybe, I don't know. Did I 92. possibly see it at the Arclight? <laughs> there was an earthquake in, in Los Angeles. In the movie or in real life when I saw No, it? in real life, in Northridge. And you went to the movies. I think that's the story. The Northridge earthquake? Yes. We watched what movie Aladdin? were you watching? There you go. Um, Aladdin. Okay. The number one movie. The second movie involves a skeleton that looks very similar to the Max Shrek skeleton. Hmm. It's Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. That oh, was the number two movie. Wow. So Aladdin and Home Alone 2 beat Batman that year. So I could see why Warner Brothers would be pissed that they weren't the biggest movie of the year. Like, you know, 162 is nothing to shake a stick at, but I mean, if you get beat out and you're not the biggest movie of the year, I can understand they'd be pissed. Yeah. So we're going to go through this next section pretty quickly. The response was generally positive, but most said that the while the production design was stunning, the story was lacking. Todd McCarthy of Variety gave it a positive review. He said, on all counts, Batman Returns is a monster. 
follow-ups, the sixth highest grossing film of all time. Uh, it has the same dark allure that drew audience in three years ago, and he predicted it would be a stronger across-the-board acceptance than the original. <laughs> Wrong. Uh, meanwhile, Roger Ebert gave the movie two stars out of four. Uh, to quote Ebert, I was shaped in a kinder, kinder, gentler time. I always thought it would be fun to be Batman. The movie believes it is more of a, ch- a curse that Batman is not a crime-fighting superhero, but a reclusive neurotic who feels he has to prove himself to a society he doesn't really inhabit. I give this movie a negative review, and yet I don't think it's a bad movie. It's more of a misguided one, made with great creativity, but denying us what we more or less deserve from a Batman story. I would agree. And I don't always agree with Roger Ebert, but I would agree with that statement. Now, this is how I felt. And tell me, Michael, if you experienced this differently. Comic fans did not like this movie. They were disappointed in many things, mainly how Batman is sidelined in his own movie. And and this would become fodder for Wizard was the dumb army of penguins at the end. (laughs) This was like a running joke in Wizard magazine. So I hate the penguin mangle. I do hate that Batman has very little to do and he's basically sidelined. I didn't not like this movie. I just, I wanted so much more. I wanted more. Yeah. And I didn't get what I was hoping for. And I still, to this day, watching it, I feel like I didn't get what I was hoping for. Annie, when you were going to comic book stores as a kid, did you hear anyone talking about it? Mm, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All the time. I didn't really go to comic book stores until later. And I don't recall too many people talking about this movie. I'm sorry. Interesting. I'm sorry. It was was all the talk. It was all the rage. Uh, (laughs) So another interesting Batman thing happened in 1992. Batman the Animated Series was released, and the producers were told to change the designs of Penguin and Catwoman to better reflect the designs in the Tim Burton movie. Uh, And while they did this, the personalities stayed closer to the comic book versions. So Penguin looks like Danny DeVito Penguin a little bit, but he speaks like, you know, the erudite Penguin from the comic books. Right, and he's not a freakish monster pig man. No, no. He's a super intelligent guy, voiced by Paul Williams, who wrote Rainbow Connection. The more you know. So this transitions to the Catwoman sequel, which was rumored for years and just never happened. Tim Burton was attached direct. Daniel Waters was writing. In 2004, a Catwoman solo film finally came out, but it starred Halle Berry, and it was widely panned as terrible. The premise... They won all the Razzies that year. All the Razzies. Yes. <laughs> so the premise of the, of the Tim Burton-Daniel Waters Catwoman movie was that Catwoman goes to Oasisburg, which is to... Uh, a made-up city? <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a like a Palm Springs-type place, a resort area in the middle of the desert. It's run by superheroes, and the movie has great fun at making fun of the whole male superhero mythos. Uh, yeah, so I started reading it. It's really, really weird. Huh. I don't know if this mm. would have been a good movie. It sounds almost as strange as the Halle Berry makeup uh you know, uh, poison makeup was that the premise of the 2004 Catwoman movie? Hmm? I don't. I don't there remember. was a cosmetics thing going on. Anyway, so she tries to get revenge for poison makeup. It's a horrible movie. Sharon Stone's the villain. Okay, I've yeah. never seen it. It nearly killed Sharon Stone's career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I watched about the first 20 minutes of it and turned it off. It's so bad. Yeah. So the other interesting thing about this movie is that they merchandised the hell out of it, just like the first one. Uh, Toy Biz released a very popular line of action figures that included for the first time a Catwoman figure based on the Pfeiffer costume. Mm. There was also a Tim Drake Robin figure in this line, which is my favorite uh, figure of the line. 
which you just gave me a new version of it recently. I that did, I, that didn't I, I? I have somewhere in this room. So. Uh, and, you know, for, for years, the rumor was that this was supposed to be the Marlon Wayans figure, and that's why he has the kind of high top haircut. So the flat top hat, yeah. But Marlon Wayans was never in this costume in the in the movie script. He was just wearing a mechanics uniform. So that we can we can squash that rumor, squash that beef. Uh, the weird thing about that Toy Biz line was they did not market that Penguin figure to look like Danny DeVito because it was so disgusting. They just repainted the old Superpowers Penguin figure in black, yep. red, and white, and it looks much better than the than the DeVito. Penguin. Oh, I, I I love the look of that figure. I mean, it's the, the exact same one as the the Superpowers one, but it just I like the black and the red and the white. It looks cool. Yeah. So, Annie, you had mentioned the McDonald's thing, mm. and that was a huge, huge, huge story at the time that they were really marketing this movie to children, and there was an S and M Catwoman on the box and. This hideous penguin man toy. Yeah, Yeah. it was weird. There were also a ton of Halloween costumes, posters, Uh, t-shirts. There you go. There was a video game, PVC figures, applause toys. There was the comic adaptation, uh, Michael, that you have. It was written by Denny O'Neill, inked by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. I think we've covered all the merchandise. Adam will tell us otherwise. Yes, he'll tell us we missed tons of stuff. (laughs) So as we wrap this up, let's do the rapid fire round. Okay, Annie. Since you're our since you're our guest, we're going to give you the first word. Who's your favorite character in this movie? Catwoman, easily. Catwoman as well. I agree. I'm going to go with um, uh, the Hogan family best friend who gets his nose bit. It'd be different. <laughs> okay. Least favorite character in this movie. The penguin. Penguin as well. Chip Shrek. <laughs> That's actually a really okay, good fair. one too. Bad <laughs> girl. Really Save yourself. Yeah. yeah, they're both pretty bad. <laughs> Favorite scene in the movie? The Catwoman transformation. That is good. Steven? Yeah. When she comes home and she's all zombie-like. Yeah. I, I love that. that. And, I, and I love the ballroom scene until the penguin shows up. Those are my two favorites. You know what? I'll, I'll revise it. My favorite scene is that opening with Pee Wee Herman. It is, <laughs> it is... Just the music okay. and the Pee Wee of it all. Okay. <laughs> so in the... In, in the Batman mythos of the Burton and Schumacher, you know, universe, where does this rank in, in Batman movies for you guys? I can safely say this is my number one. Number one Batman movie? How many of them have I seen, Stephen? <laughs> True. <laughs> True. I just showed you 89, like, last year. Mm-hmm. It didn't okay. have Catwoman. I'm sorry. I would rank this dead last. Oh, okay. Wow. I, I would give this three. Batman being number one, Forever being number two, and this being three. Why? Because I don't know. There's just the, the penguin thing really bums me out. It's just really <laughs> it's gross. Rough. So, favorite piece of merchandise for this movie? Um, whatever Steven says. I don't have any. So my... mine's a Catwoman action figure. Period. Okay, that's good. Uh, my dad loves to do puzzles. And for a while, we were buying these movie poster puzzles from Toys R Us. And we did a Police Academy 6 puzzle. We did a Back to the Future 2 puzzle. And at one point, we did a Batman Returns puzzle. And it was mostly just black. And it said the bat, the cat, and the penguin, and it had their faces. Mm -hmm. So we, my dad, my brother, and I just kind of huddled together on the dining room table and did this Batman Returns movie poster puzzle together for days. So that's my favorite piece. Speaking of movie posters, this particular movie has, in my opinion, the best all-time ever teaser poster 
in the history of cinema. I have it. It's I okay. have two of them. One day. Oh, wow. It's really cool. <laughs> one, one of them has a slight tear that it came in, and I was mad about that, so I bought a second one. <laughs> um, but it is my favorite poster I've ever bought. It is the best. What, just when I first saw that in the movie theater, I said, holy shit that is fucking amazing <laughs> at 10 years old i was like this is the shit oh my god i died a couple of years ago before i bought that one there was an auction of a signed one with the entire cast oh. and tim burton it was probably about maybe 10 years ago i put a bid into it for like 400 dollars. oh my god wow and I lost. <laughs> lost. How much did it wow. go for? Uh, almost a thousand. Oh. I'm surprised it didn't go for like more. Four. Yeah, no, this was. I was shocked. I was shocked it didn't go for more. But it, but it was signed by Michael Keaton, Michelle Pfeiffer, Danny DeVito, Tim Burton, and Christopher Walken. And I was like, I'll throw it out into the universe, see what happens. And then I was winning for a couple of days, and then all of a sudden, at the very last minute, it went. Sure. <laughs> crazy yeah and then i was like you know then i bought the first one that had teared it then i was like I, I need one that is perfect so i i bought another one for like this one was like 40 bucks which i don't mind 40 bucks is good there you go much but, better than 400 yeah. or a thousand but that's probably my coolest piece of merchandise other than the action figure. yeah so okay alternate casting for the penguin is it david Duchovny? <laughs> no he would have been a terrible penguin also much too attractive no um christopher lloyd that's awesome okay it's not bad he's my not favorite bad. i just would have never thought of it okay i would have probably i would have probably said more like a dan Aykroyd. Hmm. oh god yeah he was have you ever seen nothing but trouble he's somehow more disgusting than the penguin in that no movie. really yeah he has a penis for a nose okay great <laughs> what about you steven I would have chosen Bob Hoskins. He's been always rumored a bunch of times to be Penguin in various iterations. Uh, you know who would also been kind of cool would have been, you know, going along with Dan, Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, if he had still been alive. Like, Well, you can't you can't bring someone back from the dead in 1980. They didn't have that technology yet. You don't know. It's you know the posthumous version of who knows. What, about, anyway. what about John Candy? Too tall. I mean, John Candy, like... Think of John Candy in Uncle Buck. He is a massive person. He He's is. a big man. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> to be taller than Michael Keaton. <laughs> fair. Alternate casting for Catwoman. Winona Ryder, I don't think she would have had the same ferocity, but I think she would have brought a really weird and dark element to the character. That would have been pretty cool. That's a pretty good one. I like that one. What about you, Stephen? I was thinking of Winona Ryder as well. No. And also because she had a relationship with Tim Burton. Like, you know, a, a filmmaking relationship. Yeah. The other one I was thinking, you know, at that time, Demi Moore, Sharon Stone would have been rumored. You know who would have been a sleeper who was not that big of a star yet, but was on her way? Marissa Tomei. Hmm. Marissa Tomei would have been cool. She she was starring in My Cousin Vinny and was going to win the Oscar that year. Um, actually, didn't she defeat defeat? As though this is the way the Oscars were. <laughs> she beat Michelle Pfeiffer that year, if I'm not mistaken. I think she... For for uh, my life or whatever it was, or no, was it was that? like a weird. Actually, no. So Michelle Pfeiffer probably was lead actress. There was some like weird thing that year where Michelle Pfeiffer was nominated for a movie, and it was not Batman. It was like a movie that nobody saw, mm. and everyone was like, "Why didn't you just nominate her for Batman?" I mean, she's plays somebody totally. Like, if you were to say that you, you know, 
transformed into a different character. She create she transformed into Catwoman in this movie. She but, was nominated for Love Field that year. Oh, okay. Never heard of it. Yeah. Um, you know, if if again, I think Michelle Pfeiffer is is absolutely perfect for this role. But if she wasn't in Dick Tracy, Madonna would have been another really great casting, I think, for this because she can really be kind of that breathy kind of craziness a little bit. I do like the Winona Ryder angle. Um, who was the one in Natural Born Killers? Juliette Lewis. She's another one I would have been pretty cool. She's, she's cr- crazy. She's crazy in real yeah. life. So. You know, if you just got to say, <laughs> I don't think anyone could have done better than Michelle Pfeiffer. I, I don't think, think so either. On casting. Yeah. I think so too. What would you have liked to have seen for Tim Burton's Batman three? I have no idea, but <laughs> I will say that I find this exploration of the two characters. They did say that Catwoman or show that Catwoman was still alive and this kind of like tension between them and not the sexual tension that Steven's thinking about over there. Mm. But- well, I'm not thinking about anything. I know you think things about me, but (laughs) just like this interesting like chemistry that they have together and Batman kind of trying to um, maybe bring her over to the quote unquote good side and more of an exploration of that. But I'm not really the writer here. So really, Stephen would probably come up with something amazing. Robin, only Robin. I'll tell you you this in in fifth grade. or fifth, sixth grade, I was writing a Batman three. They didn't make it. No, but I was. I, I wrote it too. I wrote I was one. Also. Working on it, and definitely Robin Williams as the Riddler was the way to go. And if you could have involved Robin, maybe a Jason Todd version of Robin, where he's a little bit bad, and maybe there's a pull between Riddler and Batman trying to vie for this kid's attention, could have been an interesting movie. But I think I think a, a Robin Williams Riddler movie would have been incredible. I, I really wanted to see more of what happens with Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman and see where they would go with the story. I also always wanted to fill in the gaps as to what happened with Vicki Vale. I needed, I wanted to know. You were the only I, kid that cared what happened. I really care. I, I love no Kim Basinger. Kid. No, I, I love Kim Basinger too. But, I love her. But come um, on. I wanted to know. I wanted to know what drove her away. It bothered me to know. You know it still bothers me. Her boyfriend um, dressed up as a bat and beat up people in alleyways. Wouldn't that? <laughs> what, what, what do you mean? What drove her away? Big red flag. <laughs> He's running around it like he dressed up like a car tire and punching yeah. people. Fair enough. Fine. Whatever. I also I <laughs> wanted to know what happened with with Billy D. Williams, Harvey Dent. I would have liked to see what happened with that. I I think it would have been an interesting story to have Catwoman come back. And yes, I agree to have a Robin Williams Riddler show up as like this, you know, city dominating, bigger than Joker kind of like villain that could really psychologically challenge Batman and make Batman actually do something in a movie would have been cool. Mm -hmm. Overall letter grade for this movie. Annie? You know, Catwoman is just so strong in this. Michelle Pfeiffer is so strong. And Penguin really drags her down, or the movie down, I should mm-hmm. say. I don't know, maybe a B, B minus. I'm a B minus yeah. also, for the same reasons. I'm a C. Of course C. you are. C for Catwoman. <laughs> <laughs>
So, what do you guys think is the lasting legacy of this movie? I have two theories, but I'll let you guys go first. I mean, I really just see it as a feminist movie and kind of a symbol of the time. So, Stephen, what do you think? Uh, you know, I agree. I think this is the feminist Batman movie, and it does a great job with the Catwoman character, and I think that's what sticks out. And I think what it's it's why so many. I think it's why it's like it has such a huge female fan base is because mm-hmm. it it does the it does the Catwoman character very well. Yeah. And that's about it, unfortunately. I, I think his legacy is that it creates such a, an iconic Catwoman. It is the feminist Batman movie. I also think that its legacy is that it killed the Burton-verse. Yeah. That people had such a high on the first one, and then this one really took it in the wrong direction, I think. And, you know, you know people crap on the Schumacher movies all the time. And say that Burton was the best and Schumacher ruined it. Burton directed one good Batman movie. You know, his track record's not that good on these movies. And I think it's very unfair to Joel Schumacher. Well, Joel Schumacher's movies are bad. They're bad. They're bad. Disagree. They're bad. They're bad. They're bad. Val Kilmer is bad. George Clooney is bad. Disagree completely. Ben Affleck is bad. Ben Affleck is uh, another one that's given not a lot of the right stuff to do, but I think he could have been a good Batman. I personally Kilmer is w- way better in Batman forever than Keaton is in Batman returns. Are you crazy? I am totally sane right now. <laughs> they give, they give that Batman and Bruce Wayne way more to do than this. one. All right. So anyway, to wrap this whole, up, this whole journey up into Batman returns, we've shared our feelings. Let us know what you think in our social media. Let us know. And we can have a conversation about it. But next month, we have Meteor Man. So, you know, this was a lot of fun. I'm so glad you guys were able to join me on this journey. I tried to get Dory to watch this movie, and every time I turned it on, she goes, turn it off. I don't want to see that freakish penguin guy. <laughs> she kept making me turn it off every time. I was like, well, I'm watching this alone. So, Did okay, she cool. not appreciate the Selena Kyle aspect of the movie? She didn't even get that far to the mm. movie to see oh, really? her be revealed. <laughs> she just saw a penguin mm. coming out of the sewer and was like, yeah, I don't want this. Turns off. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, enough. Great. Cool. Admittedly, Wonderful. it's gross. But again, you know, thank you guys so much for joining me. And, you know, thank you, Patreon, for subscribing and listening to us ramble on about movies and comics and everything else. And until next time, have a good one. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.